I'm Joe Devine and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. Today I'm joined by James Montague. We talked about Chinese investment in European football and the Premier League, uh, specifically Zhao Sheng, who is Southampton's new owner. So I asked James about what Southampton and Southampton fans can expect to get from that. We also talked about the topic more generally and uh, what we can expect from the future of Chinese investment in sports abroad. Uh, so thanks very much for downloading. A very quick note on the TIFO name change. Our website release has been delayed by a couple of weeks, so we're looking at mid-November now, but I'll keep you updated on that. Um, thanks very much for downloading. Hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I'll see you again next week. James, you recently wrote uh, the script for a video on Southampton's new owner, Zhao Sheng, a topic which is uh, inextricably linked to, to China's football investment boom. So to begin with, I wondered if you could give us a little bit of background on, on, on Zhao Sheng. Yeah, well, Zhao Sheng has actually been kind of, his name has been connected to, the, to Southampton and the possibility that the uh, Lieber family, the Katharina Lieber, was going to sell the club. Uh, something that's been on the cards, really, I mean, for a couple of years since her father, who originally bought the club, died. Um, but she's stuck in there. And, and Zhao Jixing has, has kind of been around it for, for over a year. And what was interesting was uh, when the the Chinese football boom, when, when uh, Chinese companies really started buying clubs all across Europe, um, starting a few years ago, um, and investing heavily in the Chinese Super League, but in terms of buying foreign football clubs. I mean, anywhere from Espanyol to a uh, club I, I followed very closely for my last book, Billionaires Club, uh, Ardo Den Haag. Uh, of course, the, the, the Inter Milan and AC Milan sagas. Um, and of course, uh, China seems to have bought up most of the West Midlands as well. Um, Southampton was this, uh, you know, uh, very well-run club, uh, wasn't in financial difficulties, um, has really punched above its weight after being essentially a third-tier club. Uh or falling to the third tier, I should say. I mean, obviously, it's not a third tier club, but, you know, falling on pretty hard times. And this name has been pushed around. And what's often the case with Chinese ownership is, of course, that most people in the UK have no idea uh, who this person is. And you can do a little bit of... Uh, it's, it's often quite hazy trying to find out um, what, who they are, what their businesses are. I mean, of course, Birmingham City fans have learnt that to their detriment, given everything that happened to Carson Young. Uh, we live in a bit of a different time now, and Zhao Jixing is a, is a, is a very well-known uh, character in China, and he has um, a hugely. I mean, he's he's a member of the Billionaires Club, um, one of the men who made a mint on the real estate boom in the kind of nineties and in the kind of start of the millennia, and his, uh, you know, essentially his lander company has done exactly what. Uh, Xi Jinping, uh, the premier, the, the man that sits at the top of the Chinese system, uh, wanted his kind of loyal billionaires to do. And that is to invest in sport, invest in the sports business and invest in football in particular to become a world leader and to prepare the country f- for the World Cup, either to host the World Cup or to qualify for a World Cup. All of it coming together uh, in in a one grand strategy, which he kind of like published, or he was responsible for, for uh, pushing uh, a few years back, 
And so Landa is this company that uh, had made had made Zhao Zixing very wealthy, and then they switched it so that it now moves into uh, sports and uh, sports construction in particular. So now it builds sports stadiums. And um, you've seen this across China, how, um, you know, I've, I've came across businesses, for instance, uh, Espanol uh, was bought by a company called Rasta, which is essentially a, a toy car manufacturer. You know, these are companies that do not have any, any background whatsoever in sports, uh, sports, running any kind of football team, any kind of sports industry stuff whatsoever. But because there were opportunities and doing what the big man says opens doors um, and connections and uh, curries favour, businesses have just been retooling themselves to take advantage of this. And Lander was, has been one of these. Um, and so Lander, originally the deal was supposed to be through Lander. Um, and then we didn't hear anything for about six months. Uh, which was very odd. Why, why had this gone quiet? Because he'd been quite vocal about it. And it turned out that the Premier League has been looking very closely at some of these Chinese acquisitions because there's a phrase that you keep seeing thrown around in all these, uh, Chinese-backed, um, Chinese, Chinese state-approved. What does that mean? I mean, there are obviously Chinese state banks who are lending money. Uh, they might hold a they might hold a share in the holding company that will eventually own that football club, and for the Premier League, it's a kind of complete mess. And so they're kind of trying to pick through because some of these um, ownership structures might actually contravene kind of UEFA rules about owning um, certain percentages of, of of different clubs that might meet each other in competition. So uh, this is this is one of the issues. And when they looked into it, of course, Zhao Jixing. Uh, I mean, I would say probably Lander rather than Zhao Jixing, but was caught up in a uh, a kind of bribery scandal where two very prominent um, leading politi- local politicians were, were executed for corruption. And this is something that obviously is endemic in China um, and has been, the, the, the kind of crackdown on corruption has been kind of accelerated under Xi Jinping. And this, uh, his company came... Uh, was accused of paying loans, uh, paying bribes to, uh, you know, grease the palm to, for certain real estate deals, which they denied. But in the end, they they turned over all the information they had, um, and so went turned state's witness, and effectively, you know, uh, were were given a free pass. You know, they they'd obviously admitted that something had happened, but were never convicted. So by the letter of the law. Um, the prem- the, you know, they, he would have passed the fit and proper persons test. But clearly, this story and this, this information had alerted and had concerned the Premier League, all the other clubs. And so they changed the rules to make sure that that won't happen again. But it was too late to stop um, Zhao Jixing, who, in the end, he had to buy the club in a personal capacity with his own money uh, rather, than, rather than his company. So... Um, it's a it's a bit of a mess, really. But there, um, there's a net to pick through, isn't there? I mean, yeah. you, you were saying there about how the Premier League concerned that there could be potential conflict of interest if you know the same owner is found to have a stake in multiple clubs that might oppose each other. I, I was reading um, about some of the other Chinese investments in in other clubs before this podcast, and I was looking at uh, Inter Milan specifically, and they're owned by uh, the Suning Company, who also own uh, Jiangsu Suning, a, a club in China, who I think Fabio Capello is the current manager. Um, the, the same company also owns part of the domestic TV rights for that for the Chinese Super League, 
which to me seems it would be like when Barclays was sponsoring the Premier League, also owning one of the clubs, which seems like a a bizarre sort of conflict of interest, you know. Um, it's it's a mess, and it's largely a mess. I mean, it, this is the, the modern world. This is globalization. This is a globalized economy, and so when Chinese companies were instructed, or at least opened the door to say, walk through it, invest in world world football. You know, it was every aspect of it. TV rights, um, marketing rights, um, agencies for players. So you have a situation at the moment where, you know, Wolverhampton Wanderers. And there's all sorts of conflicts of interest or potential conflicts of interest going on with the ownership structure there. Um, And um, the fact is that the UEFA, the Premier League, the FA um, and each individual um, uh, FA where this is taking place... It's taking place in Portugal, it's taking place in Spain, it's taking place in the Netherlands. You know, they're, they're ill-equipped to deal with the realities uh, of, of this, because this is complex, high-finance stuff. Um, but it's, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of dropping the ball, because what happens when this stops? What happens when the money stops? Um, you know, it, it could leave a lot of clubs, I think, in a lot of trouble. And there's always, there is always the, the, the fear that this is a short-term thing. As well, I mean, anyone who's followed Asian football for any amount of time can remember the, the, the kind of boom of the turn of the millennia. But they, when China qualified for the World Cup, and um, you know, FIFA got very excited about this huge market that was going to open up, and you know, uh, made an official proclamation that uh, that China invented football along with the English, uh, which I remember the Sun was particularly upset about. Um, but uh, uh, you know, it, so. You know, but that all, that all absolutely collapsed because the political will goes. You know, in five years' time, Xi Jinping is likely to step down. He has a ten; he'll have a ten-year period. He's halfway through it now. What happens when somebody takes over and they they're not obsessed with football or love football or think sport should be a kind of um, something to concentrate on? You know, well, that, that's an interesting thought, yeah. though, because I I think two two things that actually brings me on to asking you about whether or not this might slow down because. Since the initial rush, China has also tightened its restrictions on outgoing foreign investments. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask you what, what the reason was for that. You alluded to that in the video. But, but before I do, I also want to touch on the, the point there about uh, Xi Jinping stepping, potentially stepping down in five years, maybe the next leader coming along, not having the same you know, same ideology around sport or the same passion for football. I think there's a, there's a pretty clear um, history of nations using sport or using global sporting events to assert you know a certain level of of power on on the global stage that the most recent one perhaps is is the russian doping scandal if you look at what happened in sochi uh, i think it's quite clear that there was a uh, political interference there and you can the only real reason you can suggest that that, that would be uh, something that that russia would become involved in is to show the rest of the world that they're powerful, use the Olympics to show what their country is capable of, and then I suppose use that uh, to, you know, increase... I think one of the suggestions is that it, it, it's, uh, Vladimir Putin's popularity within the country had never been never been higher, you know? Well, I mean, it, this is this is absolutely true when it comes to mega events. Um, you know, this it's a reflection of what what the leaders in that country, what the elite want the world to see. And, you know, there is a certain... I mean, it's changing a little bit now. I mean, if you see the problems that are coming when it comes to who's hosting the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics, you know, I mean, uh, they've just had, uh, I think it was Innsbruck's just had a, uh, a referendum where they, they said no. I mean, when it's put to people, 
Uh, they're saying no, they don't want these mega events on their doorsteps because they're usually uh, a, di- a costly disaster. Um, and so what we're now seeing are, are kind of cash-rich oligarchies uh, are pretty much the only countries that can afford to, to, to have these mega events. So, yeah. you know, it's, it'll be the turn of Central Asia next. You know, it'll be the Azerbaijans and the Kazakhstans who will be hosting these events. And, you know, that, that very much is about trumpeting, trumping the the, the the power and the reflected glory of the great leader. And the World Cup being hosted in China would be a uh, massive, I think, feather in the cap for, for Xi Jinping. I mean, if that crowned his tenure that of course it won't be hosted in five years time but kind of winning a bid in the next few years but i think there is a very even though we can see i think um, most people can concede that the political and economic uh, projection of power that 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 shows uh, would be very would be very potent to political politi- politicians sorry in um, in china um you can you can also see how you know where the world would be in five years' time. Maybe, maybe that was, maybe that isn't the political priority for for whoever comes next. There's also the issue as well that I mean, Xi Jinping is is actually consolidating his power uh, in a way that uh, hasn't been seen since Chairman Mao, and so it might not be the end of him. So he might he might get another ten years, uh, ten more years. So who knows what will happen in five years' time? I mean, it would, it would actually probably become quite clear in the next couple of years. Um, whether he will stay on or or not, but um, it's clear that if he does stay on, then this will carry on. The, the issue is about why capital controls have been put in place. I mean, it wasn't just on sport; it was it was on all foreign investment, but asset buying because there's been a massive uh, Chinese shopping spree around the globe uh, for assets, uh, not just football clubs, uh, real estate, everything that they could get their hands on. Um, and most of it was fueled by debt, and the suspicion within uh, the Chinese Communist Party was that this was also a, a kind of handy way for um, businessmen to get money out of the country, uh, and so they were using it as a as a as a conduit to funnel money out of the country when they want to keep it as much as they can in China, invest in China. Um, and so, yeah, this is they could see it overheating, and it was you know there was talking to people back in China as well. There was a, there was a sense that it was a bit embarrassing, um, everything that was happening. Like it was it was a bit unseemly this kind of spending spree. So it was it was partly about face, but mostly the fact that there was a suspicion that this was that this this newfound kind of uh, concentration on the sports business was was seeing money leave not to invest in sport, but just to get it out of the country. Well, last week, uh, Xi Jinping spoke at the Chinese Communist Party's Party Congress mm-hmm. um, in the speech, which was incidentally very long. Uh, he did said that did you was, listen to it? Did you listen no, to all of it? No, you told me not to, but three and a half <laughs> hours long. I did. I found I found a video and then I thought, oh, Christ, no, I don't. I don't care about facts this much. So I read a, a Guardian write-up, uh, which I'm going to almost plagiarise from now. No, I'm not really. I was just going to ask you um, uh, about something he said, um, because he said he said it was time for, for China to transform into a, into a mighty force and lead the world on political, economic, military and environmental issues. But he also often refers to China's political system, or, or I suppose a general system, as uh, socialism with Chinese characteristics, mm. which I find quite interesting. I'm not really sure what that means, uh, and so I wanted, wanted to ask you. It, it's, it, 
it's a kind of very relatively recent um, phrase adopted by the Chinese Communist Party, and the idea it's, is it that, does sound like advertising. Yeah, well, it's, it it is the idea that it's not a dogmatic Marxist state, and that um, it it does bring in elements of the free market, private ownership, private business into a socialist system, uh, to making it a kind of hybrid system. Um, so. It's it's kind of fitting ideology around what what they think what China is, and mm. what's interesting is that they called it the the leadership look at it that way. Whereas if anyone who's gone to China, it's almost the other way. It's capitalism with Chinese characteristics. Uh, like if you talk about collectivism, uh, even going back to kind of Confucian thought, you know, the idea of, of you know the, of, of of the collective being welded to the idea of a kind of free market economy seems to be a better description of it than than a, a kind of socialist system with this underlying Chinese characteristics. Um, because it is it is incredible when you go there. It's incredible when you go to to, to Beijing and uh, I mean to Guangzhou. Um, you know, it's 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 by all you would not notice any different in terms of shopping, in terms of advertising in terms of uh how far your money would go it just it feels like an like an asian like Guangzhou feels like an asian mega city like tokyo it doesn't feel any different the difference of course is that it is a repressive police state effectively and that that isn't going to change anytime soon and that's that's why i find it interesting that the uh he used language like that but as i said it does it sounds like marketing talk and i think so much of um I think so much of politics now is is about perception and about what people will believe and what people are told. And I think if you, you know, if you look at the best journalists or, you know, the best uh, public speakers, people like that, they often tell you to, to look for where the real power is. And that's, you know, that's how you can see what the system actually is. And it interests me that um, even just through football, you can see this, it, it, that it, how China is different from somewhere like the UK or, or the US in that in China it, it appears to be using football as an example that um, the company sorry the country's richest uh, people are willing to spend an awful lot of money on football to show or to declare their loyalty for leadership whereas in the UK it would seem to me perhaps this is a cynical view but it would seem to me that politicians are much more likely to be keen to please uh, you know the people who are leading corporations. So it's almost like a role reversal. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, this is a top-down, extremely hierarchical system. And if you step out of line, then you get burnt. You, there's no room for uh, free free wheeling, for freestyling. I mean, look at what happened with... I mean, even although it's been denied, what's happened to the owner of AC Milan? Um, you know, he was... Uh, there was there was a, some news stories that him and his family had been prevented from leaving the country, and there was all sorts of investigations into him, and that money had been stopped. And you know, I mean, you know, you just couldn't you couldn't really put that kind of uh, restrictions on people simply because they express a different view or they do business in a different way. Um, and in that respect, it's a bit more a bit more like the Russian system, which is you know a, a compliant kind of almost a Praetorian guard of oligarchs. That if that, that that are useful when you need them to be, and spend money when you need them to do it. Um, but if they step out of line, then you, essentially the state can take their fortune away from them, and then that's that's very very different from you know Western European 
uh, I was going to say Anglo-Saxon capitalism, but of course that's not, not, not the case. But I mean, yeah, West, Western European system, and that, that's essentially why everybody comes and fights their cases in uh, their, their disputes in, in the British courts, because you know there is there is a rule of law. Um, in his speech, he also alluded to America's sort of, uh, I guess, what would be seen as isolationism under Donald Trump and. I wondered as well uh, what with our coverage of some American owners in in the YouTube series and you know American owners investment in the Premier League whether that isolationism might be reflected in in the football landscape is America receding as China expands or are American owners and business just as interested in the Premier League as ever I think it's that's that's when he talks about when Donald Trump I mean I'm not sure Donald Trump I really understand I mean if you ask him to spell isolationism I think he would struggle so it, <laughs> it, it I, I don't think he understands what that any of this really means but I I mean in terms of the people around him and the kind of ideologues that seem to be turning his ear I mean, I mean that's very much a military military speak that us going there changing things talking about human rights uh even you know people who are very critical of american power uh would say well that was all bollocks anyway to you know be a forward operating base to or a bridgehead to, to, for business anyway i mean especially if you read people like naomi klein that's a big that's a big kind of theory that she's been pushing for for a long time um so it's it's actually getting getting uh those messier state building uh, moralistic things out the way so that you can do business unencumbered so if you see it's not isolationism that we're just it's not like an it's e- not economic it's not an economic nationalism in the same way that maybe steve bannon kind of bandies about it's just get that out of the way so i can sell as many i can sell as many planes as possible to bahrain who cares if if the Bahraini regime is jailing people and uh, jailing people for tweeting uh, and, and crushing opposition, we just want to, you know, uh, we want to keep this factory going. So we're just going to make as many planes as possible and sell it to them. So, it, and if you look at the owners of football clubs, um, not all of them, but especially someone like Stan Kroenke, um, you know, and look at how the current situation about the protests around Colin Kaepernick. And taking the knee during the anthem, you know, uh, they they've kind of been forced into it uh, to showing some kind of solidarity with their players. But ultimately, you know, they are they them and Trump are one and the same, and they have fallen fallen back into line. Um, so, you know, these are these guys are you know, they recognise Trump and they support him. And don't forget, Cronky donated a million dollars to Trump's inauguration yeah. fund. You know, I mean, this is... Uh, so these guys are... Uh, it's been interesting, having written the Billionaires Club and, and looked at these American club uh, franchise owners and seeing them and, and the kind of... What, what they get up to. And then seeing those all those names that I'd, I'd kind of... I'd spoken to... I'd not spoken to, but spoken about. Um, seeing all of them kind of... <laughs> contort themselves over this issue because all that matters is the bottom line all that matters is the bottom line and to hell with everything else and unfortunately now there's a president in the white house where he believes that as well okay let's um let's take it back to to Zhao Zhisheng then how can we put his his wealth into context you know can we expect a great increase on on spending from from, from Southampton I think we'll see in January, but you would think that 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 is the reason why Libra is sold because you know there is an issue at the moment. If you look at, uh, for instance, PSG, um, you've got a club that okay, PSG are now regulars in the Champions League. 
but this is a club that essentially had the money to leverage their their future out of Barcelona's hands. Uh, so it didn't matter about prestige, things that mattered in the past. Like, you know, all that mattered was the amount of money you had and you can spend. And essentially, it's, it's the money from the state, from, from the state of Qatar. And this is something that is um, the same with Manchester City. Um, uh, it's a little bit different with Manchester United because, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not state's money, but it's obviously leveraging probably the greatest uh, or most commercially viable brand in international football. And, and, and it's just a cash machine for the Glazers. So they can, they can compete. Um, and so now every, and you, you have, of course, Russian oligarchs at Chelsea, the bottomless pit of money. Um, you know, Libra couldn't, ca- cannot compete with that. So this guy is, is going to come in and if he does, you'd think he's been sold the club. So he would do exactly this to invest heavily in Southampton. Um, the problem is, of course, that in the first couple of windows, it's often when there's a takeover like this, it's very difficult to to attract, you know, top players to, to a club that is a mid-table Premier League club. I mean, City famously did it with Rubinho, uh, like literally bought the club. Next day, Rubinho turns up just before the just before the. Um... I think by accident on his part. Yeah, I mean there is. Well, I mean there's all, all sorts of rumours that he thought he was going to United, and then there's rumours that maybe the the owners thought they were buying United as well. well didn't didn't he say uh, when he was initially interviewed after the signing? I think he said something like, "I'm delighted to be signing for Chelsea." Oh yeah, well he did. Yeah, because he was moved. Uh, he yeah. thought he, he was coming to England to move to go to Chelsea, and then he was it was kind of hijacked at the last minute. Um, and I mean, I don't know how you would analyse his his stay in 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 Manchester, but I mean, I wouldn't say it's an overwhelming success. But at the time, it was certainly a that was that was a that was a big statement. Um, yeah, it was and, a huge coup. And so, very much how this transfer window um, will go for Southampton, I think, will be a very useful canary in the mine for how I think the club will go forward. Whether it will be. Uh, incremental increase in and smart use of you know uh, the academy and and uh, you know buying younger players or, or whether he's going to splurge you know millions on tens of millions on on players that Southampton probably wouldn't be able to afford normally. I think you would hope there was a, there'd be a sensible approach because I think Southampton are one of the few clubs in the league that that seem to uh, be you know incredibly sensible when it when it comes to um, player acquisition, and they obviously have of, of late uh, a very good um, academy. So it'd be a shame to see that go to waste. Well, and and one of the things that is quite clear, and again to go back to Kroenke, this is something that Arsenal fans are kind of very aware of, is that ultimately competing for glory, for titles, for. Uh, for cups, okay, that's great. But the way that the money is structured in the Premier League, and obviously with just this this huge television deal that means even coming last in the Premier League uh, means that you win more money than most leagues in the world have for winning it. Mm. Um, you know, guaranteeing a 10th place finish every year is incredibly profitable. And yeah. so, I mean, the Arsenal fans are working this out that, you know, you don't have to overstretch, Kroenke doesn't have to overstretch himself. He's the the club is growing in value. Um, it's got a huge amount of cash in the bank. It, as far as he's concerned, it's an incredibly successful business operation. And yeah. you know, the, again, to push that, for anything beyond that is probably more expensive than it than it. Yeah, could the, be the, rewarding. The, the, the possible reward and the the risk far outweighs the reward. So, you know, you, 
you have me, you have people coming in who are very hard nosed businessmen. You know, I mean, Zhao Jixing has gone through a lot to keep his fortune, um, and you can, you know, you just can't imagine him coming in and you know spending a hundred million on players. I was listening um, to a podcast last night with Adam Curtis, and it's interesting that you talk about risk there because he mentioned that for research for one of his recent films. Uh, he did a, a keyword search in, I think, Western Western national newspapers for the, the word risk. And obviously it was there uh, before the 1970s, uh, but from the sort of 1980s, 1990s onwards, it became uh, a much uh, more regular feature. Um, and his his idea is that the, the culture of the West has become very risk-averse. So it's interesting that we talk about Kronke as someone who maybe is happy to see his club growing in, in, in value. It's making money. As you, as you say, the Premier League Premier League's latest TV deal uh, is going to earn them a lot and potentially it's going to go up more next, uh, next time round as well. Well, it could, it could do, but we've... I mean, this is, the, this is the... You know, the elephant in the room at the moment is... How much how much growth is there left in English football and especially English uh, television rights, which ha- which has been which has been the engine to this to this incredible successful globalization of English football, because there's already signs that people are turning off from watching Sky Sports. There's already signs that people in America are turning off the NFL. Now, uh, conservative commentators are saying, well, that's because we have a mainly uh, conservative white fan base and they're turned off by all these protests but this was happening before then the cord cutters people are people aren't watching on television sets anymore I mean a lot of people don't that's, even have television that's sets that's the thing anymore. I mean that, that that would be my, my contention for that is not that there's uh, less interest or a lack of interest in in the sport but the, the way that people are accessing exactly. entertainment is very very different and so I think the reason that it is likely to continue growing and listen we've seen before uh, years I and mean, this happens every three years we've seen before deals that have dipped slightly but the general trajectory has been up so it doesn't necessarily mean if if the next deal is down slightly that the the one following won't be up again and I think you know we're not we're not even going to begin to see a plateau in my opinion until we reach the heights of of Amazon and uh, and you know places like I I suppose maybe maybe even Netflix something like that internet giants getting involved well that's that's where the real money is that is where uh, the next generation of TV deals will come from the problem is, is that whether um, people are willing to pay for it online, and that's as big a problem for for the media that that hasn't really been solved. I think it has, though. I mean, I I think if you look at online piracy, uh, what listen, whilst it's whilst it's still very high, uh, because of the advent of of streaming services like Netflix, yeah. like Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime in particular, because not only do you pay, you know, essentially for what for most people is a minimal fee per month. Uh, and you get uh, a whole bunch of things beyond uh, a free streaming service. I think it's, it's shown that, that people are willing to pay for that to watch stuff. I think also if if there was an option like there's, uh, what is it called, Now TV, I think, is the only online uh, in the UK where you can you know purchase a, a weekend pass to watch the Premier League. And a lot of people are willing to do that because they're bored of like flicking through illegal streams and yes. trying to get to you know and that's but true i genuinely think there is an appetite the, for it the, that is true um the issue is whether uh that model is going to be ready to go to replicate the kind of scope and numbers of viewers that have sustained that amount and i'm not sure it will do in in the short term i mean certainly if you look at kind of 
you know, this is a little bit how you look at newspapers turning from like advertising, um, advertising model in print to advertising online. You know, it's going to take years and a lot of people are going to go to the wall in the process before there's a kind of parity in that. And I think that the model that is, that is going to come next is going to be uh, there is going to be a correction in the market. It doesn't mean that in 20 years time um, before the next great leap forward in, in technology that these won't then, you know, boom. Uh, but in that correction, what does what will happen? You know, will, will there be will it become suddenly less attractive to foreign investors? And you know, we we're kind of seeing uh, increase in the interest around the world in German football. I mean, Spanish football, of course, but in you know outside of the big two. Um, and you know, there's there's another big issue that's taking place in German football at the moment about the challenge to the fifty plus one model that's taking place at Hanover with Martin Kind, the owner, who has successfully. I mean, he's he's still back in court trying to make it happen, but he wants to take full control of the club. And um, and there's a there's a real danger in German football that fifty plus one, you know, will, will be consigned to the bin of history and allow that kind of investment that we've seen in England. And you know, then then it's got it's got a very real competitor. Um, and, you know, again, when we talk about uh, TV rights, what about the impending global Super League? You know, it, that, that, that I think is almost inevitable now. Um, and so, you know, national TV rights, again, will, will, will be, you know, will wither compared to, compared to what's about to happen, what I think might, might be about to happen. But I think there is, I think there is concern that, that, you know, how far these rights can go. And I, I would be, I, I am, I, I mean, if I was involved in that business, I would certainly be not thinking that this is just an upward trajectory. That this is just a, this is just going to boom and boom and boom. I think there is a, there is going to be a, a correction of sorts somewhere. James, thanks very much for joining us and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks.